What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome to another pay-per-view point edition of the Smart Guy Moment Smack Talk podcast. We just got done watching, or I should say, I just got done, and if you're listening to this, most likely you just got done watching the AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling's Forbidden Door pay-per-view. So I'm going to be breaking down here my thoughts and everything that has happened here, give you a recap, give you a review, everything else that we normally do here. I am your host, as always, Tony Mango, flying solo for this edition. Outside of anybody that joins me in the live chat here, I can see the Frankies in the chat. What's up, Frankie? And, of course, if anybody else comes along the way, I'll be reading out what you guys have to say. And if you want to make sure that I can say something like that, then, you know, chat it up in the chat. You got the super chat option, too, if you want to really make sure that I become aware of what you're saying. And uh, if you're listening to this after the fact, drop a comment below. Tell me your thoughts on the pay-per-view, what you like, what you don't like, anything else that goes along with that. Uh, If you, of course, are listening to this on YouTube, do all the stuff that you normally do on YouTube if you enjoy something, which is to hit that like button to make sure you are subscribed to the channel. Ring that little notification bell just in case you're not aware that we do these things live for most of these pay-per-views, if not all of them. And we got Money in the Bank coming up next, so if you want to know when I go live, then that's the best way to do that. You'll get an email for it. Also, if you want to pass this along, there's that share button, very handy dandy thing, and that little join button, get access to the members only content, like the Patreon stuff, it's exactly the same, you got the dark cast, you got the pick your poison tier, even if we just toss a buck our way, it's still something that we greatly appreciate, and the same thing for that little thanks button. So, outside of just mentioning the Public and Redbubble shops for the merchandise side of things, those are all my plugs, I don't need to bother with that until the very end. <laughs> So this is uh, 10 of uh, midnight, so that is why I'm going solo in this one. You know, the UK, completely different time zone, so no Callum on this, but I'm sure he'll chime in with his thoughts down the line. I know that Rob's been enjoying this pay-per-view a lot, and he's busy doing the medium, uh, media scrum, so maybe he'll be able to jump in at some point. I'm not too, too sure, but how are you guys feeling about this? I thought that this was a great pay-per-view. I see that Frankie thought that it was an awesome show. Uh, this was, of course, something that I wasn't feeling super duper into for some of the matches because I don't know some of these people from New Japan at all. And the, even the people that I do know from New Japan, I'm not super duper familiar with. You know, I'm not going to be able to tell you the top five moves of Hiroki Goto, for instance. I've heard the name before. I'm sure I've seen more than a few matches, but I couldn't tell you anything about them. I, uh, I Actually, about like a good half of them I know that I've seen at least one or two matches of, and some of them like Clark Connors, I just never heard of in my entire life. So that was the thing going into this that I wasn't super crazy hyped about, but I figured that there was a chance that this was going to be a good show. And despite all of the injuries, so many of them, including at least two for tonight, which is kind of crazy, it still ended up being a pretty damn good pay-per-view. Uh, I see Jeb in the chat. Uh, Midnight, it didn't start until 1 a.m. Yeah, for you guys, it does. Um, This was great. Bar the Young Bucks versus other guys' cartwheel match. (laughs) So much better than Double or Nothing was. I think I liked, if I'm going back, let me double check because there are like 15 matches on this card. I'm pretty sure that I liked every single one of them except for three of them were kind of meh in my, not bad. None of them were bad, but three of them, uh, two on the pre-show, the buy-in, and then one of the ones during the night just kind of fell uh, off. Like if they weren't on the card, I don't think I would have even noticed in, in a lot of ways, but I enjoyed the vast majority of this pretty much from start to finish. I thought that there were a lot of great spots here and there to really showcase people from AEWN from new Japan. So it wasn't like one side of the spectrum looked really good. And the other side looked really bad or anything. This isn't one of those events where like, you know, say if it's like a WWE show and uh, WCW, that WCW looks like a complete joke at the end. Kind of like how they've had with uh, Survivor Series in the past, where SmackDown loses every single one of the matches, and you're like, why am I supposed to care about this roster? They didn't do that here, and I didn't think that they would, because Tony Khan's not the type that would be like, okay, you guys come in, we'll bury you. But at the same time, there was a chance that it could have been too many AEW guys taking a pin, or... Too many people from New Japan just not getting uh, their shots in or anything. So I'm really glad to see that that wasn't the case. And it ended up being a very good back and forth, which a lot of the matches were very good back and forth matches, too. So let's just start diving into this, I guess. Uh, we had four matches on the buy-in, not three. 
Normally, we usually have only one or maybe two. If it's WWE these days, they don't have any on the pre-show anymore. <laughs> I don't remember the last time they had a kickoff match. I think it was from what? Uh, maybe Royal Rumble or something? But AEW, their issue is almost kind of the opposite. They tend to spend a little too much time sometimes by just adding more and more matches. And we had uh, the first match of the night was uh, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi from Chaos beating the Factory's QT Marshall and Aaron Solo, which was just a match to quote Drew. <laughs> I don't know if Drew saw this, but you know that's the Drew quote is it was a match. Really, that's all it was, though. I mean, there wasn't anything too much to talk about for there, at least on my end. I Nothing was whatever. The only thing that I wrote down was QT Marshall was doing this thing where he was going to be, um, you know, cartwheeling around and jump over the top rope. And he almost didn't really make it. So I was just like, you know, if you can't really pull that off, maybe don't do that in the future. <laughs> you don't need to get injured. We have too many injuries as it is. Uh, then we got an impromptu Nick Camarado versus Lance Archer match. And... The first thing I thought was, did they announce this ahead of time? Because I did not see anything about this. But to be perfectly honest, I wasn't checking earlier today to see if there were any adjustments to the card. I figured if anybody noticed anything, I'd get tagged between multiple different group chats that I have. I'm sure somebody would have tagged me. And I don't think that that was announced ahead of time. So that took me by surprise. Nick Camarado is coming out. I'm like, what's Nick doing here? Uh I don't really like the idea that this was added to the card for the most part, to be honest. It was just another match. Like, there wasn't anything bad about it or anything particularly good either. But this is a crossover pay-per-view. And are you meaning to tell me that you're trying to book it as Archer as a New Japan guy? Because, yeah, I know he's a part of the roster. But he's an AEW guy. <laughs> so that didn't really translate to me the same. It was just uh, something that we would see on AEW Dark instead. And I don't think it was really necessary. It just filled up some more time. But I guess, technically speaking, what would they have put on instead? You know, they would have just done some video packages or something. So well, it's better than that. You know, at least it's a match. So it's better for the crowd in attendance to watch a match than to watch a video package. And since most of these matches didn't really have feuds going on, we didn't really need the video packages either. So I'm glad that they added it into that expect, uh, to that respect, I should say, not expect. That was just a match again, though. Uh, we had a much better match for match number three, Suzuki Goon, losing to Swerve in our glory. And this one was actually one of my favorite matches of the night. Funny enough, they started it off really well with Keith Lee doing his, you know, the the little maestro uh, thing where everybody's like, oh, Baskin is glory. And Kanemaru just plugs his ears and they play into the whole idea that Keith Lee is easily the biggest guy in the match. And by, I think, like maybe the quarter way through the match or so, I don't know about the times exactly, they did a whole thing where uh, Swerve Strickland went for a drop kick, ended up accidentally dropping, drop kicking Keith Lee in the leg. And for the rest of the match, they were building on this idea that that was how they're going to chop him down. So since they've been teasing some stuff between Swerve and Keith Lee, not getting along and possibly breaking up the tag team, you know, with the elimination from the casino battle Royale and everything, I thought that this was a great move because this is yet another thing where, you know, Keith Lee takes out Swerve Swerve accidentally kicks Keith Lee. Now they're kind of even as far as, hey, what did you do? That's kind of screwing up our team. And it gave the rest of the match something where Keith Lee could be working as not just massively bigger than everybody else and tossing them around. That actually ended up being a, a good contest. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. I really liked the idea that they had the near fall with the, the whiskey in the eyes. I didn't know that that's one of those gimmicks that they do. So, so things like that took me by surprise here and there. And that was a really good near fall. Eventually Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland get the win, which is cool. I'm a big fan of that tag team. So afterward though, they had a little thing with Ricky Starks and powerhouse Hobbs saying, if you are calling yourself Shaq and Kobe, we're Jordan and Pippen. You can't call yourself the best tag team if you've never beaten us. And I wouldn't have thought that this feud would still be going on. But you know what? I'm okay with it because 
you know, you got some four talented people in there and we could get a good tag team match on Dynamite. Cool. Why not? If this is a number one contenders match, I am thinking we get Swerve in Our Glory beating Team Taz for that because they make more sense to be fighting the Young Bucks going forward. And if that is the team that needs to lose to the Young Bucks for the next set, you know, just kind of feed a couple teams to the Young Bucks and one of them I'm assuming is going to be Darby Allen and Sting at some point. Probably, maybe, I don't know, maybe not all out. I don't know if they can really stretch that that long. But we don't know what's going on. Do we have any kind of indication at this point, if anybody knows, about Fight for the Fallen and Fighter Fest? Because I don't remember hearing anything about that. And they've been announcing things like that um, uh, Quake by the Lake, I think is what it's called, and... We know whether they're going to get another Grand Slam coming up, but those are just the extra kind of ones. Fighter Fest, I would assume they would be doing again. And then Fight for the Fallen, they've done that every year, so maybe to do something with that too. But I think Young Bucks versus Darby Allen and Sting, we're going to get it at some point over the course of July, August, leading up to All Out. I don't think it's going to happen at All Out, but it could. I'd be down for it. Uh, let's see what Frankie just said in the chat. I'm assuming those will happen, but probably announce it a week or two before. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, I know that they are just going to go with the same uh, palm trees and everything too. So it's not like they don't have to worry about the sets and everything, but I enjoyed the Swerve and Our Glory match. I would assume I'm going to enjoy them against Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs going forward. I'm assuming that if we get Swerve and Our Glory against the Young Bucks, that'll be a great match too. So thumbs up all around for that. Uh, another great rap from Max Caster following that up. Big pop from the crowd when they came out. Lots of big pops throughout the night, but I wouldn't have assumed that they would get one of the biggest ones. And they ended up actually getting a bigger pop than some of the other people that I would have thought. Uh, the rap was great. Like I said, you go back and check it out if you're interested. Can't say I'm not I'm the biggest fan of the way that this match started, though, which was that immediately after the bell is ringing, Dan Housen pops up on the screen and just starts like playing an ass boys theme, which gets Austin and Colton to run to the back and completely leave the match. I don't know what they're going with for that. So you had the new Japan dojo guys making this a four on two against Billy Gunn and Max Caster. And why you just didn't want Austin and Colton Gunn to wrestle in the match. It seems kind of strange or did they just consider it where they were far too big that the four on two made more sense that they could still win because caster and gun get the win. And I think that that still was the better call, but I am just curious why they decided to make it a four on two instead of four on four. Maybe there's like an injury or something. Maybe they just wanted to have Dan Housen do something. I, I don't really know. I'm just, I'm very confused about why this even happened, but to be perfectly honest, <laughs> I enjoyed the match fine enough as it was. This was actually a fun segment. And uh, I'm keeping my eye on Kevin Knight out of all these guys in particular. I didn't see too much from like the DKC that stood out to me as anything to really be like, oh, man, I can't wait to see that guy's next match or something. I don't remember seeing anything, to be perfectly honest, from, uh, oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name on top of that, too, because he just he didn't factor in at all. Um, Alex Coughlin. I don't remember that guy getting even tagged into the match, let alone doing anything. You know, uh, Umora, I remember him wrestling here and there. And uh, DKC, like I said, I wasn't super impressed with. Kevin Knight, though, I ended up writing, this guy's going to give Montez Ford a run for his money with a potential frog splash because this guy's bouncing all over the ring. And, you know, he's giving me some of those kind of uh, wiry, bouncy, super fun, like Kofi Kingston type vibes and everything. So I'd like to see more from him. But Caster and Gun get the win. And all in all i mean the pre-show is two matches that are just matches and then two better segments so it's 50 50 spot without anything really being bad so thumbs up that took us to the main card and we're going to get into this now uh we had the trios tag team match between chris jericho sammy guevara and minoru suzuki against eddie kingston and shota umino and uh, wheeler yuda so this match, great opener for this. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought that in particular, my favorite spot of the whole thing were just the chops that people were giving back and forth between Kingston and Suzuki in particular. 
good crowd work from Jericho um, playing up the heel heat, you know, tagging himself out in the right spots, taking himself back in in the right spots. Suzuki got a good spot there where he was hyping up that he's going to jump to the outside and he didn't. So, you know, the crowd gets really like, oh, ah, fuck you, you know. And I was surprised with how much they put so much focus on Umino. Again, I am not familiar with Umino. I do not think I've seen a single match with Umino in it. If I have, it's been one of those things that I just, you know, didn't make an impression on me or anything. But they did a really good job setting him up as somebody who eventually got to a point where I'm like, you know what? I could see him actually getting the win and making it some kind of payback on the Jericho story from what they were telling us. They have a spot here where Guevara nails him in the back with the baseball bat. And then he's fighting back and the crowd's getting really into it. He puts them in the walls of Jericho and crowds digging that a whole lot. Of course, he eventually ends up eating a Judas effect and he doesn't look weak. So I think that this ends up being a great job. And I'm a big fan of it being where it actually is for stakes. You know, this match was leading into who's going to have the advantage for blood and guts. And with Jericho's team winning, the thing that makes the most sense ends up happening. You know, war games or blood and guts, if you really want to call it that, that works so much better if the heel team has the advantage. It's just always pretty much going to be better that way. So this makes sense all across the board. I think this was a lot of fun and a great opener for this. Frankie says, I hope we get Umino versus Guevara on Dynamite. I apologize for these stupid idiots that are making a lot of noise if you can hear it, because there's a whole group of people that think revving their motorcycles makes them cool. And I'm sure that every woman within a certain mile radius is just, uh, you know, taking their tops off for this because that makes them so much better, isn't it? Hopefully I hear a crash. Uh, <laughs> it's terrible of me. <laughs> That's even worse that I actually kind of mean it. Um, let's go into the winners take all three-way match. The ROH tag team titles are on the line. The IWGP tag team titles are on the line and Rapongi Vice is there not bringing any titles to the mix, but FTR and United Empire are, and man, what a dodgy situation at the beginning here, not too far from the start of the match after we've gotten a big big pop for FTR Dax Harwood gets injured and I'm thinking to myself ah oh, come on man we haven't even got it's not even like we got through three quarters of the match or anything they're just getting the ball rolling and now we're gonna have to take FTR out I had assumed that FTR was going to win so I was also thinking what are they gonna do because if FTR can't win this and they were planning on being this cross promotional tag team they got to make a decision. You know, uh, New Japan can't just be like, I guess we'll put the belts on whatever. That's their tag team titles. You know, that's not as easy as just being like, you got to work these other dates or something. And I was worried that that was going to end up playing out, that they would end up just going, ah, let's just put it on United Empire. And even if we can't get them in ROH, we'll figure something out down the line or something. But eventually during the match, Dax comes back. And at that point, I'm like, okay, everything's safe. I don't know for sure if he's, you know, good to go, but at least he's safe enough that he can go back and wrestle. That's a good sign. Match was great. Really, actually, I was a big fan of how Rapongi Vice was using this. You know, they held down the fort while Dax was gone. And we had some great near falls here and there to the point that even there was one. I don't remember who was pinning who. I know Cash Wheeler broke up the pin, but somebody was pinning one of the United Empire guys, one of somebody from Rapongi Vice, I should say that almost got me. And I was like, you know what? For a team that I did not expect to win this match whatsoever. I was just like, all right, Rocky Romero is probably going to get the pin. They got me to go. Oh my God. I almost thought that the title was going to change hands there. So great job all across the board. FTR eventually does get the win. Uh, I forget who pinned Rocky Romero, but one of them does. I think it might have been Dax actually now I'm thinking about that and it was just a great match and now we're gonna get FTR as part of the New Japan side of things too so they as uh Frankie says in the chat they really are if not the best tag team of you know the past decade for the most part they're certainly in that running 
you know, I'm a huge fan of the Usos, huge fan of the New Day. The Young Bucks, of course, are fantastic. We've gotten some really, really great tag teams over the years, so especially for a time frame where it's like, you know, WWE, the biggest company, hates tag teams. You would think you wouldn't get a whole lot of great tag team action, but, you know, Gargano and Ciampa, they're not even really considered a tag team as much as some other people, and they've had some fantastic tag team matches. And Red Dragon, amazing tag team. So I think that FTR is definitely in the discussion for one of the absolute best tag teams that we've gotten in the past 10 plus years. And it's great to see that they're going to be bouncing around a little bit more. Hopefully, without any kind of injuries to uh, Harwood, I hope that that was just a temporary scare and. I guess we'll find out more down the line. But speaking of injuries and being out of the mix for a title, Juice Robinson was backstage with Jay White and Tony Schiavone. Robinson basically said, the IWGP United States title is still mine. I haven't lost it. So that match later on, that's going to be a number one contenders match, basically. Even though that's not true. Some good heel work. I'm surprised that they didn't do a little bit more with him. Maybe get him in the ring or something, but... Yeah, it's a good way to just remind everybody that this is the story going forward. Uh, CJ Parker, yeah. <laughs> it's so weird how CJ Parker just, you know, he leaves NXT and he ends up being a much, much bigger deal. Sometimes WWE just flat out gets it wrong with some of these people. And they have to wait until they come back and then they go, oh, that's what happens when you, you do something with that guy. <laughs> uh, what do we have next? We had the AEW inaugural all atlantic championship four-way match so pack coming in here with not a whole lot of momentum on his side 100 percent, but somebody who i was rooting for you got miro who pretty much everybody seemed to be like uh, at least this crowd in particular was like very pro miro malachi black of course he's been some great things in the past and then instead of ishii we've got clark connors a guy that i know absolutely nothing about whatsoever couldn't have picked him out of a crowd can't tell you anything about him can't tell you his finisher absolutely nothing might as well have just been a blank slate and he didn't really do anything in here that stood out to me either he did tackle Miro through the table on the outside but anybody could have done that so I'm not uh I'm not gonna crap on him or anything he didn't do anything bad that I saw but he's not somebody who I'm going to be like oh man you know that Clark Connors match I can't wait to see that in New Japan but he filled the void, and we ended up getting the desired outcome from my end. I was rooting for Pack, and Pack ends up winning with the Brutalizer, forcing Connors to tap out, which makes more sense because he is the outsider here. So why have Miro tap or Black tap and make them lose a little bit of their credibility if you could do that for Clark Connors? He's the fill-in guy. So I like this match. Uh, not my favorite match over the night but it was still another rock solid match and i'm really glad that pack won because i think that he needed this championship it's still a mid-card title it's still going to be one of those things where you know it's not going to make up for him not winning a world title yet and for that matter i mean not everybody can win a world title and we've got a lot of people in aew who i would put above pack on that list but at least being the inaugural champion for this means that he has carved himself in AEW history. He could have, you know, won the TNT title at some point, but it wouldn't have really mattered unless he would have been the first one or unless he won it the most amount of times or had the longest reign or something. It's better to win a championship than to not win a championship, no matter what title it is. But unless you do something that really stands out, it's going to be one of those things that could be easily forgotten. Like, I don't really think if you told somebody, hey, can you fill me in on each time that Sheamus won a world title, that they'd be able to tell you anywhere near as many of them. They could tell you the first time he beat Cena. They could tell you that when he beat uh, Daniel Bryan, I said Brian Danielson. Look at that. I'm, I'm getting a little bit more used to saying Brian Danielson. You can tell you those, and you can maybe tell the cash in. But to be perfectly honest, I don't even remember what uh, who Sheamus cashed in on. So. You know, take that for what you will, at least when it comes to Pac winning the All-Atlantic Championship. No matter where this belt goes in the future, he will go down in history as being the first one. And that's a great thing for him. I think that's awesome. We had the trios tag team match between the Young Bucks and El Phantasmo against Dudes with Attitudes. Still a name that I think is pretty ridiculous for this, but... Um, uh, before I move that on that, let me check to see what Frankie said in the chat. This match was rock solid. I love when a match can make you think someone's going to win, but then they don't. 
after the missed spot, especially. Yes, the missed spot. I was thinking that Black was going to get that. And then, you know, a moment later, we get another splash from uh, from Pac. And woo. <laughs> so let's talk about that Young Bucks match. Uh, they did a whole thing where Sting wasn't coming out. He wanted to take out Hikaleo. Of course, later on, Hikaleo gets involved anyway. So it really was kind of all that much pointless. But this was another fun match. I, you know, didn't think that it was the absolute best match of the night. I know that uh, Gas 5 in the chat there not being as big of a fan of the cartwheel match. I actually enjoyed the taunts here and there. Uh, El Phantasmo doing one of those and just playing around a lot. Uh, I liked the Death Valley driver that came out of nowhere from Shigeru Takagi. It's a match uh, element that I don't think many people would actually bother to be like, oh my god, that wasn't the, you know, it's not going to be on my list for the best spots of the year, but I was just like, oh man, he just pulled him up, did a Death Valley Driver, just that DVD out of nowhere. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Lots of crotch shots in this match. I was surprised about that. You got people twisting nipples, you got people hitting each other in the balls. I don't really know why that was the case, but, you know, it made for an interesting enough change of pace from what we had been getting before. And eventually Takagi pins Phantasmo for the win and, you know, it did its job. I thought that it was fine. I do think that there is a chance that we could have gotten some much better matches, you know, depending on if you weren't having all these injuries and everything, I'm sure we could have gotten something with the young bucks and red dragon and bullet club and just something grander, but this ended up doing its job. It's definitely crazy how stink can still go. I was thinking about that when he was on his role and I was just like, this guy's like what? 62 or something. And he's in better shape than some people that are in their 30s or so. I mean, look at me. I'm in my 30s. And uh, I can't do any of that shit. So credit to Sting for still being able to go like that. I don't know what that guy is taking, like supplements or if he's drinking holy water or whatever it is. But speaking of water, I'm going to take a sip right now. Got to make sure to hydrate everybody, especially because it's so damn hot out these days. So backstage, we had a little segment with Jericho talking to Umino, talking about how he had earned his respect. He did a great job and poof, fireball in the face because he's a wizard. So that was a little bit of an awkward, just interstitial, but that's a way to get some whole heat on Jericho again and remind everybody that later on, we're going to get some more action leading to blood and guts. So better than nothing, I guess. Then we had the AEW Women's World Championship and this match... People are going to hate me for it. This was one of the ones that I didn't really feel all that much. And part of it, of course, is the complete lack of build. Because going into this, it was quite literally, Tony Storm grabbed the belt and she posed with it. So now I'm supposed to care. And yes, I like Tony Storm. I We've seen plenty of matches of Thunder Rosa being able to pull off some great stuff. So we know that she can hold down the fort in the ring. But they honestly didn't really sell me all that much it was just fine there was nothing at all for me to talk about here except for one thing which is like out of all the things this is the only thing that you can really pinpoint storm's hip attack it was a really loud hip attack and i was just like wow if you would have told me that that's her finishing move i would have bought it <laughs> you know but it was very early in the match where they started to do the whole like Oh, Thunder Rosa is so frustrated. She doesn't know what she can do to beat Tony Storm. And I'm like, you just barely started. You're going to go straight to the, I'm so exhausted. I don't know what to do with that, what I can do to beat you. This is a legendary match thing. Just because you hit the same marks that these epic things in the past have done doesn't mean it's warranted. You know, I mean, that's like when you watch a movie and they do like the very dramatic death scene and you're like, who the fuck's his character? Why are they trying to get some kind of epic send-off? They don't deserve it. And at this point in the match, they hadn't built up enough of that for it to be like, oh my god, Tony Storm just keeps kicking out, and Thunder Rosa doesn't have any idea what she can do to retain her title. It's on the line here. And I was just like, okay, can we just have Thunder Rosa retain and move on? Because I wasn't feeling it. And people are going to crap on it and probably say that I'm saying that just because it was a women's match, but that's not the case. It's just literally the way that the match went. I was really hoping that this would end up being one of the better matches of the night and that people could be singing praises of like, wow, I'm so glad that they put this on the card because that ended up being fantastic. And instead, the only like real thing I can 
tout them for is well they they got the women on the card instead of it not having a women's match but even then again it's not a crossover match so it's just one of those like meh if it was off this card i don't think it would have affected the overall positives of it let's put it that way and frankie said the only real positive was that both women had great ring attire i'll have to go back and pay attention to that um i you know thought rose has got the great face paint tony storm of course is always looking great but um actually the only ring attire that i remember specifically being like oh it's pretty good ring attire with sammy guevara so uh that's interesting but um uh, the other thing i wanted to say is uh thunder rosa won with a dustin Rhodes finisher so they're going more heavily into that direction i don't know what they're really going to plan on doing there but it's not exactly how i pictured thunder rosa's title reign to be where it's revolving a little bit around dustin Rhodes instead of just her hmm that uh, took us into the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship match. Will Ospreay against Orange Cassidy. I, of course, was really looking forward to this because I am a big fan of Orange Cassidy, and I've seen Will Ospreay kick ass before, so I knew I was going to get something good, and we did. This was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, Cassidy really got the crowd hyped. I mean, anytime that he had a chance of kicking out, people were super into it. In particular, right towards the end there, at the absolute peak of people just busting out, super excited that Cassidy could potentially win. You get a another three count, Osprey retains. Lots of great fa- back and forth action, things like uh, some good heel work, you know, with um, Will Osprey taunting Orange Cassidy and getting taunted back and. You got just some generic moves like the spinning backbreaker that happened. That was really good. And uh, Aussie Open tossing Will Ospreay into Cassidy when he did a run on the outside. That was really fun, too. Just a big fan of this. I definitely say if you didn't get a chance to check it out, go back and check it out. It's pretty good. So I think, of course, the right person won. I didn't expect Orange Cassidy to win this. But after that, Ospreay and Aussie Open are trying to rip uh cassidy's pants and (laughs) jim ross is like oh as if he can't buy more pants (laughs) which is that's not the point jr yeah he can buy a new pair of jeans that's not the big problem they're trying to humiliate him so i thought that was really funny but to come out to help Rapongi vice comes out they can't get the job done and then katsuyori shibata comes out the fans go absolutely nuts and we get a little thing later on with uh, Cassidy putting his sunglasses on Shibata, who invites him back into the ring, and they have a little, like, no, like, praise Cassidy kind of situation, and that was cool. I mean, I'm not a super tied into the Shibata thing, so to me, that's not something that resonates beyond the surface level, I should say, but I could tell that it was a big deal, and when the crowd is being as cool as the crowd was tonight, you're going to feel some of that stuff. Apologies. Then we got a match that was one of the most anticipated matches. Zack Sabre Jr. against Brian Danielson's replacement, who ended up being Johnny Gargano. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) It was Claudio Castanoli. Huge pop for Claudio. I mean, one of the absolute biggest of the night. Actually, I don't know if it's bigger than the Okada pop, but I think it might be. I'm not too sure. I'll have to go back and check that out, too but huge, huge pop. And he immediately starts off the match with an uppercut and he damn near gets to win. And I was thinking, all right, we're off to a great start here. Of course, this was going to be a great match. And it was. What else can you really say? You've got Zack Sabre Jr. You've got, you know, Cesaro, if you're more familiar with him that way. There was no way that this was going to be bad. And this, of course, got, this is wrestling chance. You've got the, uh, feats of strength where um castanoli is carrying zach sabre jr with one arm up the steps tossing him back into the ring i don't know how the hell this guy does this but he consistently does things that just makes you go like does like is he able to you know pull like a spider-man and lift a certain amount beyond his strength or something like this is crazy this guy is it's ridiculous how strong this guy is I would really love to see some kind of 
you know, they did a little thing with the, um, the performance center combine and it was like, uh, Bianca Belair won, I think like multiple events over the course of like two years or so. And I'd love to see what Claudio could do just like not scripted, of course. <coughs> so he scores the win with a power bomb. Did not expect the power bomb to be the finish. To be honest, I wasn't expecting him to do the exact same, uh, the neutralizer. I figured he would do some other kind of event, um, some other kind of event I'm reading the thing that on my screen, this event, uh, some other kind of finisher that, you know, okay, I'm in a new company. Now I don't have to necessarily do some other kind of moves that WWE is telling me, let me do something else, but didn't expect the power bomb to be the finish. And I don't know if I necessarily like the idea of the power bomb being his finisher. Cause even though he is more than strong enough to be able to pull that off, I feel like it's better for some other people that are just power bomb to me is like a Brian cage move or, you know, like a Lance Archer, like some of those like really tall, big guys. They're better suited for the power bomb. Or the spirit bomb for Keith Lee, for instance. Frankie in the chat says two great workers. So of course, great match. Hope one day Saber moves over to AEW. I would love for that to happen because we've got a lot more matches left for Zack Saber Jr. That I want to see. Of course, Danielson is one of them. But I want to see, because I've never seen them. Maybe other people have. I don't know if they've happened. But I want to see Zack Sabre Jr. against Kenny Omega. I, I haven't seen it. I'd love to see Zack Sabre Jr. against Jungle Boy. That is, you know, Jungle Boy is consistently fantastic. Got a Zack Sabre Jr. against Darby Allen. Could be really great. Uh, Hangman Adam Page. You know, any of the list of people that you've got. Really um, good matches to hopefully get in the future. And Claudio, of course, having a great showing here, which means that he's off to a great start in AEW. And I don't think that they have put the sign out, or the sign, the uh, tweet out yet of Claudio is all elite. So he might not necessarily be on the roster right now, like officially on the roster. But you can kind of assume that's the case because he's at least popping up for blood and guts. And if he is doing as great of a show here, more than likely he's going to get signed. Guy123 says, I hope that Cesaro does not get lost in the shuffle. I'll say this. I, you know, we were all talking about how Cesaro should have won a world title in WWE. And it was like 10 years ago, practically at this point, that Stone Cold Steve Austin was talking about how he should. And Vince McMahon's just like, yeah, he's just missing something. I never really felt like Cesaro had much of a chance to win a world title in WWE after a certain point. Cause it seemed like they just, you know, they made his bed and he was just going to sleep there. And that was the end of it. I don't think he's going to win a world title. I can picture him being somebody who would be a really, really good fit for that all Atlantic championship in particular. And I could see him winning a tag title. I could see him winning the TNT title but I don't think he's going to win the AEW world championship. And that's not an indictment of his talent. I mean, he is one of the most talented and ring performers that we've had in a long, long time, but there are just so many people in AEW at this point that they are kind of getting lost in the shuffle. I mean, look at Keith Lee, just bring up a guy that I was just talking about. Keith Lee is a guy that I wanted really badly to win a world title in WWE and in AEW, he should be a bigger deal. You would think, but he's just in the tag team division. And it seems like AEW is sticking more to look, the world title needs to be the absolute biggest stars. So for somebody like a Darby Allen or somebody like a, there's another person that's on the roster. That's like, let's say like Christian, for instance, Christian's great but I can't picture Christian winning that world title. I can't picture sting winning that world title, for instance, and despite the fact that sting is sting, but yeah, Brian cage, as uh, the guy says in the chat, he was a guy that was just like, okay, he's probably going to beat Moxley and he didn't. And then he gets completely lost in the shuffle. So I don't want Cesaro or I'm going to be calling him Cesaro forever. I don't want Claudio to be in that Brian cage position where he's a big deal for three weeks. And then suddenly he's, progressively less and less and less and less used. But I think because he is 
somebody who has been developing a reputation over these years, and he is a former star. He's got more cachet to his name than even somebody like Brian Cage. Because, look, let's put it this way. A mid-card WWE guy, the level of what Claudio was, means more than the world champion in Impact. It's just a fact. You know, Eric Young has been a multi-time world champion in Impact. He couldn't get even past the lower mid-card in WWE. So, I mean, for that matter, where the hell's Brian Cage still? <laughs> it's pretty ridiculous, right? But I think Claudio will do okay. He's just not going to be the world champion. And I'm hoping that everybody gets their expectations lowered enough that if he does win that world title, that that'll be, you know, a great, pleasant surprise. But at least for this night, great start, great match with Zack Sabre Jr. Let's move on to a four-way match for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. And this, ah, man, it's a shame because this was a lot of fun up until exactly the end of the match it was a situation where you know you start off with one of the biggest pops of the night with okada and you could tell the crowd was going okada then page then cold then white that would have been the biggest pops great timing for things like page hitting a moonsault and cole kicking his face and cole backstabbing white and doing all that but after the fight forever chance and everybody's going nuts on this. And this is some fantastic stuff here and there. We get the finish and I don't know for sure. Of course, because I'm not backstage. I don't fucking know, but I'm assuming what was supposed to happen here was that Cole was going to take the, uh, the rainmaker rainmaker. That's the finisher, right? My God, am I getting the wrong name here? It's rainmaker. Uh, yeah, it's a rainmaker. It's gotta be. What am I being stupid for? Uh, Okada was supposed to hit him, I think. And then Jay White would hit Okada with his finisher and then roll over Cole and get the win. And instead, Cole just sort of collapsed. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, did I just blink and miss something? Like, did he just maybe get, like hit half of it? Or did he maybe, you know, reverse it? Or did somebody pull him out or something? And I was just like, I don't know, I'll follow it up in a couple seconds. A couple seconds later, Cole's getting rolled over and it's the end of the match and he's partially kicking out. So I was just like, what happened here? Did he get concussed? And that's why he got lost uh, in, in what he was supposed to do or whatever. But I'm assuming that that's what the finish was and him collapsing. If he wouldn't have, I'm assuming you get Rainmaker and then it all makes sense. But collapsing like that, He's got to have been knocked a little loopy. We haven't heard anything about it, at least from what I've been able to see online. They did say that he left on his own accord, which is good. But man, is this pay-per-view just riddled with all these injuries. And uh, Rob in our group chat, he had said something that I was like, man, this is a great line. I'm going to steal it from you. He said, uh, screw this being forbidden door. It's uh, Pandora's box. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, that's great. Because, man, the amount of injuries leading up to this and all those issues going on, and then we get the Dax Harwood situation, and then we get this one, just not working out all that well. So it's an unfortunate thing that this ended up being the finish of this match because it just tarnished it. And now you can't even go back and watch the end of it and just be like, oh, you know, there was a botch a little midway through or something. That's the finish. And it kind of uh, hinders it, you know, it doesn't undo what they've done before that, but it did take the wind out of the sails. And that's the main story going forward is what happened to the finish rather than, oh man, Jay White retained. And it was so cool that he pinned Adam Cole and maybe we can get something down the line with that or something. It just ends up being people going, is Adam Cole? Okay. And that sucks. Hopefully he is. Okay. Of course, never want anything bad to happen to anybody, but it's a shame that that ended up going down like that. Uh, where toes in the chat says, I think cage is tagging with some Vikings in ROH. <laughs> is that what's happening? Uh, Ryback for AEW champion, make it happen. AEW Ryback for, for anything seems impossible at this point. He can't even get his Twitter shit sorted out. <laughs> where it tells us this. Here's the thing. Yeah. And a, a metaphorical. Here's the thing coming from Rob. 
So, unfortunately, one of the best matches of the night does have a poor finish to it, but that led to the main event. The interim AEW World Championship was on the line. John Moxley against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Split crowd, which was good because you didn't get just one side heavily favoring one or the other or anything. It ended up being a good back and forth. And then we start getting the crowd distracted. It turns out what was happening was somebody was being escorted out. And when they got to like start going up the steps and everything, they decided to throw some punches and the security guards had that guy outnumbered three to one. So guess who won that fight? <laughs> That's right. Ryback. No, <laughs> uh, there's footage of it. Uh, Denise Salcedo has some footage on her Twitter. If anybody needs to check it out, but that's why people were chanting you fucked up because you're not going to win that fight against three security guards, dude. Sorry, not going to happen. But we went back to the match and eventually, and I'm not surprised at all. John Moxley's bleeding and I'm wondering what he had to do to, you know, did he bleed? Did he bust himself open the hard way? He did it in some fashion. He knew that bleeding was going to help out this match and it did because it ended up making this look like a much more grandiose fight than what it was. And I'll admit not my favorite match of the night, but it's certainly not something that I'm going to be putting a thumbs down for or anything like that. It was still a really good main event. So we get John Moxley winning the interim title here and he goes to shake Tanahashi's hand, but Jericho comes out with Daniel Garcia. They storm the ring. They start attacking both of them. Eddie Kingston comes down to help Santana and Ortiz and Wheeler Yuta come out to help. And the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society comes out and then Claudio comes out because he is the guy that's he's got the big swirl of support right now. He is the outsider coming in to save the day and he gives 20 revolutions to Angelo Parker to end the night with a good happy look at that Claudio's an AEW thing. I don't know if that's exactly the way I would have gone. I think I might not have even bothered to do that. It could have just ended up with the... Uh, Tanahashi and Moxley shaking hands, but this was a good way to do it too. Gets people excited for blood and guts. And we know that Moxley can bleed. And uh, we know that Cesaro and other people have a lot of guts. So that's going to be a fun match. I do think that, of course, it's a shame Brian Danielson is not able to compete and that he's not in this. But hey, look, you're going to get Claudio. So that's still going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Guy123 in the chat says, Can you react to Bash at the Beach 2000? in the future, maybe. I don't know. We haven't figured out some of our plans, but possibly. Um, yeah, so that's the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. I mean, that sums it all up. And look at this. It's 12.38 a.m. right now. And I had been hearing that this wasn't going to end until 12.30. So that's great. <laughs> we weren't here too, too long. That's awesome. But I enjoyed this pay-per-view hell of a lot. It's going to go on my list of potential pay-per-views of the year for AEW best pay-per-views. I should say not worse. That's if you consider that the worst when I, all these things I've been saying, but I don't know if I would put any of the matches on my match of the year list, to be perfectly honest. I enjoyed pretty much every single one of them, but I don't think any of them were match of the year quality. That's kind of up for debate a little bit right now. I think, out of all of them, maybe the match that I enjoyed the most. Funny enough, I don't, I don't know. That might be the opener. The trios match with Jericho and, and Umino. That might be the, the match of the night for me, which is kind of strange. But there were more than a few examples of some really good things here. So if anybody has any ideas in mind of what they would go with for potential matches of the year or something like that. Drop a comment below. Tell us your thoughts. What did you like? What did you not like about forbidden door? What things would you like to see in the future? And how do you think that they're going to kind of take this and spin out of it into more AEW stuff and better new Japan stuff? And who do you want to see FTR fight next in new Japan? Cause they got to eventually defend that IWGP tag team titles, right? That's going to be fun. Um, I did not watch Slammiversary. I don't watch any uh, Impact stuff for the most part. Was it good, though? Is it something worth checking out? I read the results for, I think, half of it. Actually, I don't even remember what happened on there. I know that they did some, like, AJ Styles popped up and did a little video tribute, but 
I can't honestly remember now. Maybe I didn't even read the results now. I'm thinking about that. Isn't that kind of crazy? I could forget that that fast, but uh, no, I didn't check it out. If I find it elsewhere, I might be able to if I get the time, but um, if you recommend it, let me know. And uh, anything else you guys want to say in the meantime, I'm going to round things out with some plugs, but feel free to chat it out in the chat and we can keep this going if that is the case. But remember everybody that if you want to check out anything else that's happening on SmartCat Moment, the best ways that you can be aware of what's happening is, of course, if you are subscribed to this YouTube channel. But if you go to the Facebook and Twitter accounts, that'll give you updates on not just the videos here but also the things that are posted just on smartcatmoment.com because we have the editorial stuff, we've got lists, we've got power rankings, we've got the triple threat each week and anything completely random that we do. You know, I've got some things in the pipeline that I just never get a chance to do, like another creative license where I just fantasy book some stuff or you know, I got a call the spot on the card coming up this week. Eventually when we decide, or when we decide is if we have any control, when WWE decides on who the final participants are for the Money in the Bank ladder match, I'm going to do a ranking of them and the traditional call the spot thing where it's like the main event, upper mid card, mid card, that kind of thing. So stay tuned for that and go to fanboysanonymous.com. Check out what's happening there. Uh, Thor is coming out next. I think it's the next movie that I'm going to be seeing in theaters. I don't think it's this week though. I think it's next week. So, I'm definitely going to do something based off of that, whether it's myself or it's myself and Caroline or somebody else is able to join me. I haven't done anything for like the black phone, for instance, but go ahead and check that out. It's a fun movie. So go to fanboysanonymous.com, like and follow and share and favorite and subscribe to everything that's over there too. And stay tuned to the blue brand and show some love, hit up the Patreon for that. It's also a little spare change our way to make sure that I can do more content on that side. And follow me at Tony Mango. You can see that all over the place. If you don't know how to find it, if you go to a mango tree, you'll find links. If you go to smart Gummy, you'll find links. You, you know, if you just ask me, I'll spell it out. <laughs> but I will be writing up some stuff for EWN and for Bleach Report as well. So you can find that stuff on the Twitter. It'll all get posted. I have it automated. So you can always just follow that and then go, oh, okay, Tony, write that up. And I'll go check that out if that's the case. So that's Forbidden Door. And I want to thank you for checking this out, whether you were in the live chat or you're listening to it afterward or you're listening to it on YouTube or Spotify or Stitcher or iTunes or anything like that. Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, blah, blah, blah. Any kind of support you guys toss my way, I am greatly, greatly appreciated of it. So thank you for listening to this and um, we'll see you next time. I think the next main event is going to be the Money in the Bank predictions. And then another round of the hot tags and then the money in the bank thing. So if you are enjoying the pay-per-view point content, we got two more episodes coming your way in just a few days. But in the meantime, adios, everybody. This has been another smart out moment and I am being counted out.